how um how much of your bitcoin stash have you still got left chris or have you exhausted it yet i haven't exhausted it yet but i am starting to get more picky about how i spend it mm-hmm. yeah i've uh i've um depleted mine by about eight and change bitcoin this last week oh what did you oh really and 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 yeah. uh were you see i've been watching the price in fact at this very moment it's at 612 dollars and 81 cents uh, oh. u.s not that i'm following not it. that you're you <laughs> not know, that I'm have following. multiple tra- tickers on your desktop <laughs> but why uh why would do you do you want to share the class what the uh, transaction was because that sounds like a big chunk of bitcoin i mean i gotta look that up but let's see eight bitcoin can you can google do this eight bitcoin in usd is that something? five yeah. grand yeah, it doesn't doesn't do it when you type it in. But I wonder if I could ask eight, Google. Eight, eight BTC is USD. Basically five grand. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Just about. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Hmm. That's some buying power, right? Yeah, there. That is. I have been tempted to cash mine in for a very large laptop recently. I've been thinking more about Ooh. doing production on the road. Man. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah. Yeah. Well, this is this is how much is that Acer twenty one? Just curious. I don't know what the price is. I don't know if they even have a price yet. It's probably not out yet. They probably don't have an announced MSRP. So yeah. is it? Am I, is it a? Was it a laptop, Wimpy? Two laptops. Oh, oh. <laughs> wow! You were all of a sudden in the in the in the hardware. Yeah, yeah. So I uh, I haven't had much hardware for a long time, and then this year um, has been a, a blowout year for for new hardware. <laughs> yeah, sort of a restocking year. I've been selling stuff as I've been going along. Oh, good. So, yeah. You know. Uh, yeah, I've got the. Um, I haven't got it yet. Which it should arrive tomorrow, hopefully. Um, the uh, the top of the line Dell XPS fifteen. Oh, that uh, sounds nice. Yeah, and also the Dell XPS thirteen developer edition. Are those both Skylake or both Skylake? Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. that'll be interesting. Are these going to be uh, development machines? Uh, yes, yes. One one uh, for mobile stuff. And uh, one for uh, around the house, uh, sort of dev work and to and from family and stuff like that. But uh, I really wanted something with um, 4K screens and touch to uh, mm, to experiment yeah. with. So, mm-hmm. uh, so yeah. So and, and Congrats. Thunderbolt accessories as well. So that'll be interesting. Were you able to take out. advantage of Dell Direct using Bitcoin? Um, no, I went through um, some local companies that are part of mm. the Dell Outlet program. I see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah. Ooh, that'll be really cool. It'd be great. It'd be great to hear your your uh, thoughts on them. The uh, I know for me, I one of the reasons I pulled the trigger on the XPS thirteen was that high DPI display because that that was a game changer mm. for how I do my reviews. Right. You know, I was like, wow. I, I think I waited too long, even. Mm-hmm. But. Yeah, maybe I don't know. It kind of depends. Linux is also kind of dragging its feet. So you you got yours last year, is that right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Okay, I, I couldn't remember if it was last year. All the years blend into one now. <laughs> um, and you got a Windowsy version that you adapted with the yeah. adapted is a polite word. Chip, yeah, I, I pulled out the wireless and I put an yeah. Intel card in, and then I installed Linux. Yeah, it's it's interesting actually reading reading because um um. There's been lots of firmware updates for these devices, which you sort of have to apply, and some of them you can only apply through Windows. So bust out the trial versions of Windows 10 in order to update all the drivers. Mm, that's obnoxious. Um, and firmware, yeah, I know. Um, the BIOS you can do, but it's like the Thunderbolt firmware and the touchscreen firmware you can't do outside of Windows. Um, 
but it's interesting how many people that are running Windows actually say swap out the Broadcom for an Intel adapter because it yeah. works better. Yeah, that so, was much simpler when I did that. Yeah, yeah, but but it's not for compatibility with drivers. It's just the Intel stuff works better than the Broadcom stuff, or at least it did then when it was sort of new. I think it's all been resolved now. But yeah, it's interesting to see some of the parallels between the two communities. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, it's funny because I I really really like my XP, yeah, XPS thirteen as as, ter, as far as far as size and right. portability goes, uh, but man, having now now having worked for, on some desktops, some newer refreshed desktops again, I really feel like the there is some serious advantage to a large machine. Like mm-hmm. maybe I could maybe have a much more portable workload where I could do more work. Where you're on just less limited by things. You don't have to think about it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're a man who likes to have you know you have a lot going on at once. Yeah, and so uh, there is so to to buy that laptop in Bitcoin. Did you have to convert it first, or were you able? How did that? So I'm wondering oh. if like you were able to avoid like uh, Brexit induced uh, economic <laughs> uh, depression like type oh. conditions. Oh, good question. Oh, I I can't tell you how how valueless our currency is right now. And that's why um, Bitcoin could look even more attractive yeah. at this moment. Yeah. Yeah, so um, for both transactions, I was able to keep it purely through Bitcoin, which was a key part in actually being able to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder. Um, so for for anyone for anyone listening in this part of the world, specifically in the UK, and you're interested in Bitcoin and you need an exchange that is reliable and works, uh, there is an exchange called Coin Corner, and uh, you can move your money in and out of a Bitcoin wallet. No problem whatsoever, and cash out, no issues. Pay in, it's really, really simple. Works very well. Hmm. So they're uh, semi offshore. They're in the Isle of Man, which is sort of a tax haven uh, and uh, independently governed. So um, a good place to put your Bitcoin. This is Linux Unplugged, episode one hundred and sixty-one for September sixth, two thousand and sixteen. Welcome to Linux Unplugged, your weekly Linux talk show that's not all that interested in tomorrow's Apple event. My name is Chris. My name is Wes. Hello, Wes. I'm glad you're here today because apparently Linux doesn't take Labor Day off. Nope. We have a lot to cover. In fact, the show this week is packed full of updates from some of our favorite open source projects all over the net, including a little suspense including a little distro Ooh. review. Ooh. Oh, and even some Wayland love. It is a classic episode of the Unplugged program. So super excited to be here. We're back from Labor Day. You didn't miss a beat, Wes. You are on top of it with tons of links this week. So we're going to go through all of those. So brace yourselves mentally, and let's bring in that mumble room. Time-appropriate greetings, virtual lug. Hey, hey. Hello. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Hello, guys. So Wes is over here uh, rapidly tap, tap, typing away on his com- computer where he is once again trying out another distro for us to discuss here on the Unplugged Show. So that'll be coming up in a little bit. I'll give you a hint. It might be the best KDE desktop ever. It just might. But you have to stay tuned. Yeah, we, it might not. It might not. <laughs> you, never, you never really know. But why don't we start out? Since uh, I just hinted with a little KDE news, or a little KDE review, how about we start with a little KDE news? Speaking of Waylon, speaking of KDE, I just threw them all together in a sandwich, and that is our first update this week. The KDE Neon developers are switching to Wayland 
by default. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, get ready for this. Now, you guys remember Neon. That's the more uh, cutting-edge version of the KDE desktop that sits atop of Ubuntu. Now they're going to start moving forward for their developer unstable packages to use Wayland by default. Now, there's going to be some conditions here. There still has to be some work done on X, X Wayland. Um, Plasma 5.8 is required. There's some other upstream updates that have to be made. And also, if you're on NVIDIA, you're still going to be using X. It's going to default you back to X. Right. But the Wayland is getting nice. So we have this, we have this story here from the KDE Neon project. And then here's another story. Fedora 25's technical, the technical advisory board for Fedora has given the thumbs up for Fedora 25 to ship Wayland by default if they want. Wow. Now, the developers could still choose not to, just like they did right. for 24, because they got the same approval for Fedora 24, and they decided to punt it. But it's been given the go by the FSCO, as uh, we all like to call it around here, which stands for Fedora Engineering and Steering Committee, I, I, I guess. Well, of course. Yeah, obviously. So they gave it the green light. They say they agree to go with Wayland uh, by default, uh, and they'll make it clear how to switch back to X11 in the release notes if needed. That was part of their requirements by the technical board. Fedora 25 will be using GNOME 3.22 by default, and it's currently scheduled to ship on November 8th, assuming there were no delays. There will be There's no never delays. Never delays. So let's take a moment, Wes, and uh, envision a future where Fedora 25 actually ships with Wayland. Let's just pretend like this actually happens. All of like the major, major, major issues are fixed. What's the first benefit you're looking forward to? When you can boot up one day and Wayland is by default it's turned on, ready to go, you're no longer using X. What 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 that day changes? I'm going to be able to watch a show a YouTube video to one of my coworkers without being embarrassed by the screen tearing. Yes, that's it for me. Yeah, in fact, one of Wayland's taglines has always been "Every frame is perfect." Right, that would be huge. Yeah, the frame like because when I can control thing. it, you know, if I'm using MPV or something else where I can really and where it knows what what's what it's doing, I don't really have that big like day to day watching problems. But there's just always those videos, or it's coming from an old Flash client or something. It's just my computer's powerful enough. I have the GPU for it. It just looks like crap. Yeah, that was going to be my pick, too. Does anybody else in the uh, mumble room have a big, like, this is why I'm waiting for Wayland? Because you've got to ask yourself, what's all the excitement about? It's going to be a huge change. Things are going to undoubtedly break. Is there is there something on the other end of this transition that you're looking forward to? For me, it's definitely the screen tearing thing. I wonder if, any, if anybody else in the mumble has any. Go ahead and jump in. I was just reading there's a thread on the, on the Fedora subreddit that talks about it. They also, you know, this is a good one too, multiple monitors with different DPI. So you can have a high DPI monitor and a low DPI monitor yep. and have a multi-monitor setup. That'd, That'd be slick. That's, it's kind of embarrassing actually on Linux. If you have a high DPI laptop with, a, with an internal screen that's high DPI and you hook up an external monitor, the external monitor is, is, at, a, is at a much lower resolution than you would like. It's, it's really kind of a – You know what's even more embarrassing? What? what? Microsoft Office failed to do high DPI on a single monitor on Windows. That's embarrassing. Well, yeah. I mean, the, win- <laughs> yeah, the Windows platform is not There's really... no excuse for that on no. Microsoft's part. No. Office should work perfectly on Windows with high DPI. Yeah. Yeah, that is... Yeah. But, yeah. yeah. I, I... <laughs> All right. Besides, the, besides OS X, everyone has their problems there, I think. <clears throat> Guys, I got to crack one open before we get into this next story, because this is not the headline I expected to ever read on this show. Adobe is updating the Flash Player using the Netscape plugin API. What? For Linux. Yay. New version of Flash is coming, everybody. Why? 
Well, and I was trying to think about this. Why? Why would they? Why would they do this? William, do you have any guesses why Adobe would do this? I mean, besides Firefox support, I don't know. Does Firefox have any like workaround for dealing with that if they didn't do NP API? Well, I guess Firefox could probably adopt um, the PP API if they wanted to, which but is. And what about I don't Chrome think and planned. Chromium? Well, Chrome and Chromium are using the PP API already. Yeah. So is Opera. Yeah. Um, so here's a couple other things that are just noteworthy. This is a really odd, like, understated. They don't make a big deal about the fact that they're totally reversing the position that they made uh, in 2012. This is really odd. But one of the things they do mention is um, because this change is primarily a security initiative, some features like GPU 3D acceleration and premium video DRM will not be fully implemented. Hmm. Mm-hmm. I wonder what their angle is. What, this what's has the to pressure be, for this? There has to be so, – there has to be some sort of contract or, or some sort of agreement. I mean, so one of the things that Adobe had done is they'd said they were going to stop updating in 2017 for security purposes. Maybe this is just an easier way to do security updates, mm. possibly, because that's right. what they're focusing on. But I almost wonder if there was some sort of vendor product that shipped using like, Linux and there was there was a contract in place. Oh, maybe. And Adobe's like, well, if we have to do this work anyways, might yep. as well ship it. <clears throat> Because I don't think Mozilla has any interest in keeping it around. Here's what, it's got to be someone else using it. This is what grinds my gears, though. If these bastards at Adobe were going to spend all of this time and all of this back and forth and all of this rigmarole on getting Flash on Linux and supporting an old uh, Netscape plugin API and backporting features from their Windows and Mac version into the Linux version to make it stable and secure again, which can't be a small task. They were like, why is this what, what they choose to spend their time and resources on? Right. Why aren't they doing Photoshop or Premiere Ports or After Effects? Like, spend your time and energy there, you jerks. Not on the Flash thing. Let Flash die. Maybe it was easy enough. It was just, oh, all right, we'll kick the cron back on, and they'll yeah. build that for them and <laughs> upload it to their web server. Ah, uh, so yeah, that is that was a story that caught my attention this week, and I was just, you know, facepalm. Well, I'm glad in some respects, I'm glad we're getting security updates for Flash. I mean, it is better to have them to have not. I just hope it doesn't, like... Grant some legitimacy to people still using Flash or not without a migration. Oh, plan. I think it does. Yeah, I think it does, and I I think part of that is because the industry hasn't fully replaced the functionality that that Flash offers. It still feels like one or two years away. Mm-hmm. It's just crazy. You know what else is uh, an interesting little read that I think you caught. This is from uh, somebody named Carl, and he's a software engineer, and he likes to be considered an aspiring artist. Uh, And he ran into a little extended four bug that I thought I'd just share with the class because it's particularly interesting. He said, after buying and setting up a shiny new four terabyte hard drive, I began filling it slowly with files from various old hard drives I have. We've all done this. Yep. Been there. I have, uh, he says, and I went through and I found like an old website I had when I worked in high school and decided, why the heck not? Why with so much space should I not just keep track of all of this? It's going to be easy. So I started copying the files over, and I started getting a strange no space left on device there. He says, hmm, this is odd. I have this huge hard drive, and I'm just trying to move over an 18-gigabyte website directory. He says, as it turns out, I ran into a bug with Extended 4 that causes it to fail if there are more than 32,000 files in a directory. So yep. he, he goes on to say, by the way, really, what you should probably do is uh, do a little bit better file management and not have so many files in the root of a directory. But uh, I guess that, you know, I, I, I toss that in there mostly as a PSA because it's probably not something most of us think about. But I think the real lesson here was do better file organization. Plan to have your files stored in a hierarchy from the get-go. Don't have flat folders 
with file explorers that just when they when you open it up they just totally die because they can't read all the files. Um, William, do you have a sense of what this particular bug is? Oh, it's kind of a built-in limit. I don't think it's really a bug. He just hit a no, fundamental limit of ext4. No, it just has a, a limit of storing thirty-two thousand entries in the inode. Wimpy, you no. had experience with this? It's it's not a limit. It's a bug. So oh, really? It, yeah. In the, so I I got hit by precisely this issue oh. about wow. four or six weeks ago at work, and we figured out the problem and fixed it so very quickly. Oh. In the transition from X three to X four, yeah, a new um, hashing algorithm was added to hash all of the files in a directory in order to accelerate the lookups. And theoretically, that hash should be good for a massive number of files in a directory. But in reality, there's um, a limitation in the implementation. It is a bug that means you start to get hash collisions after about 50,000 files, or or you can start to get hash collisions after about 50,000 files. And we were backing up a large directory, a single directory that was full of files, millions of files. And the issue was is that the actual server was running ext3, the backup server was running ext4, and our backups were failing because we were running into this hash collision. And and if you look into the kernel messages, it says um, DIR index out of range or full or something like that. So our solution was to change the backup server from X4 to XFS, uh-huh. and all of our problems went away. Mm-hmm. Look at that. Hey. <laughs> One of the favorite file systems here on the show. Everybody Indeed. thinks that we're on the uh, ZFS payroll. I've been accused of uh, yep. yeah, being uh, – but if anything, it'd be, it'd be the XFS camp, uh, which who even, who even is the main – it was SGI back in the day, it right? It was, wasn't it? I thought so. Yeah. But I don't yeah, even yeah. I don't I know think who it still is SGI engineers. It still isn't is it? SGI, because, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, yeah. Wow. <laughs> well, well thank you for that. Because Red Hat them. ships this by default, right? Yeah, I think so. What, extended for? I have the full, uh, you know, I will put the full uh, link to the post in the uh, in the show notes. Um, between a rock and a crazy place, it says, Wimby, while we have uh, your ear... Um, I wanted to do a follow-up from our discussion last week about installing Ubuntu Touch on the Meizu Pro 5 because you came across like a pretty solid piece of um, instruction. Like it's a PDF that kind of has everything you need. Yeah, uh, a couple of guys in the Ubuntu community have basically pulled together all of the information that I, you know, I, I sort of read. They've pulled it together into one PDF document with links to all of the uh, files and utilities that you need so you can start at step one and work your way through and at the end of it you have ubuntu running on a meizu pro 5 so it's a pdf and uh, i've got it linked in the show notes how has your experience been going now another week into it yep very good still works no issues discovered uh still finding my way with you know the the touch experience and updating some of my own apps and still finding uh, new apps along the way, so all mm. good. And uh, working, working out what I'm going to do to sort of help improve things. Oh, cool! Wow. Um, so, how's the podcast playback situation? Is that is podcast player Bluetooth audio? Is that still um, rough? Mm, yeah. yeah. So, uh, okay. yeah. I mean, I could use an, I can use a headphone jack. I'm not right. an animal, and I'm yeah. sure I'm sure so, that every Ubuntu Touch device will have headphone jacks for a long time. <laughs> yeah. So, if you use a headphone jack, 
that's just fine. And I've updated my... Uh, so, I say I've updated my... Uh, there's a guy who is maintaining a Pocket Casts web app. I've published my own Pocket Casts web app, which is a little bit more updated and will keep... will will not interrupt the playback of the podcasts, for example, and things like that. So I'm using that for local playback because I can just, you know, resume. It's got, you know, state between all of my other pocket cast setups. Um, But I desperately need to actually write up a number of sort of feature requests and enhancement ideas for Podbird because what I'd like to do is actually move to the native Podbird player, which can play podcasts just fine it's if you've if you listen to a lot of podcasts you know what the rough edges are in terms of the user interface and 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 using it navigating around and that's sort of stopping me from adopting it that and the fact that bluetooth in the car doesn't work at all at the Mm. moment Mm. yeah disappointing but that'll come i think and uh yeah there's there's bugs for it and i've i've added my information to the to the bug tracker on that one so there are people that are aware of it it seems to have a high priority it sounds like there's a couple of different options for playback of podcasts so that's nice i was pretty close to trying it out on my uh nexus 5 i got, I got the process started but i didn't have time to let the uh the ubuntu flash tool finish going oh that's so really gonna be... happen again when i have a little more time dedicated to it that would have been really cool that's I was trying to get the uh, multi-boot image to work, but uh, no luck as Ooh, yet. Ooh, that's the way to do it, too. So that mm-hmm. way, if you really had to, you could still go back to Android, right? Right. I uh, see. That's like dual booting with Windows, though. You know, it so is risky. Yeah. yeah, it is. Yeah, it was, it, yeah. It's, I think you've used this analogy before. It's like a recovering alcoholic. You know, if you leave, if you leave a, a bottle of beer out on the, on the desk somewhere and you can see it, you'll be tempted to drink it. Right. The first time things get really hard, you just have to get it done. I'm just rebooting for Netflix. That's fine. Yeah, exactly. Good. Yeah. It starts with the Netflix. Mm -hmm. It Mm. always does. (laughs) So, uh, yeah, remove all of those temptations. I've, I've factory reset my, my Android phone, which is still doing pocket casts, but it's just, all it's got is pocket cast i haven't set up any of the other oh, services nice. on it so that's a good way to it, do it i kind of mean and i've also you know moved all of the um two-factor authentication stuff onto the ubuntu phone you know because that's kind of when you do that you, you there's sort of no going back it's like right this is my device mm-hmm. now this mm-hmm. is the one i'm using <laughs> interesting i'm following wimpy i'm following this because you know i'm I'm looking at uh, I'm looking at uh, the Nexus Six. I'm thinking one of these days, Android. One of these days. Right. Speaking of mobile, let's uh, stop for a second and uh, mention our first sponsor this week, and that would be the folks over at Ting. What a fitting moment to to talk about Ting because that's exactly where I'll be taking my Ubuntu Touch device. I do know folks that have run Ubuntu Touch devices on Ting. See, for that. like, I think it was a two week period. I ran Ubuntu Touch, but then I actually ended up on the Nexus Five finding Sailfish OS to work a little better for me. Ting does not mind any of that. Ting is really great. It's that super awesome. simple wireless. They, they have CDMA and GSM service, which is wonderful because you can pick whichever works better in your area. And you can get a great discount if you go to linux.ting.com. You support the show. You get a discount off your first device. Or if you have a compatible device that works on their GSM or CDMA networks, then you'll get $25 in service credit. Ting just charges for what you use. It's $6 for the line and then your usage on top of that. They got real human beings that actually help. They're geeks themselves, and they actually help, which is sort of an amazing thing to be able to say about a company. They have a whole range of devices from exceptionally well-priced phones up to the really crazy high-end expensive ones. The ones 
the ones that we all drool over. They've got great tools to manage your account. One of the things I really like about Ting is they don't really have any agenda other than just offering you a simple wireless service. So they, the way they've set it up here is you can use Ting as only a phone provider. You could use Ting as only data. You could never text if you use something like Telegram and never pay for text messages. Or just only text. Maybe you yeah. love texting. Well, and I do know a couple of people uh, who I've mentioned before that have the SIM cards in little devices that are connected to their uh, alarm systems. Oh, yeah. And they text them when there's movement or things like that. And it, it can just be the simplest thing. And that's all they use it for. And they get, what, five text messages a month? That is cheap. Yeah, it's so cool. Go to linux.ting.com to check them out. Also... You don't even have to be a Ting customer to take advantage of some of the cool stuff on their blog. They've been doing unboxing giveaways. Usually it's like a matter of leave a comment on Facebook, subscribe to the YouTube channel, leave a comment, and you're entered to join to get a potentially free phone, which is really cool. But they've also been covering all the different types of cord cutter problems that you might run into. So if you're a cord cutter and you want to get sports or you want to get news or you want to get – the CW shows, they've been doing a series of blog posts on that, and that's not really specific to being a Ting customer. They're just geeks, and this is the kind of stuff they're into, and you might you might just want to go there to check them out and just learn more about – like in in, uh, in a piece down here where they talk about football, they do, a, they do a little mini review of the Sling TV service, which I use to watch uh, Food Network and History Channel and uh, live news at home where we don't have uh, any TV service. It's pretty cool, and they do a review in there. And it's, it's really applicable to anybody that might want something like that. So it's kind of nice to go there. You can, you can learn more and you can – before you hit their blog, you can support the show by going to linux.ting.com and then uh, jump around and learn more about Ting, try out their savings calculator, read their blog, see how cool those people are. Linux.ting.com and a big thank you to Ting for sponsoring the Unplugged program. That's linux.ting.com to support the show. Well, Mr. Wes, I can't believe that Adobe story. Like that's still right? that's still like rattling around in the I back of my head. I thought we were beyond this as a community. And you know what else I thought we were beyond is this trying to trying to get a government approved backdoor into encryption. Um, mm. And I think this is going to be a major problem if this goes forward for open source software. This is something that we briefly touched on in the roundup in TechSnap last week. The FBI director James Comey is positioning for a reopening, quote-unquote, of the, quote, encryption debate, because right now it's dipped below public consciousness, he says, and he thinks in next year he's going to wait to 2017 because next year we can have a, quote, adult conversation in this country about it. He wants to install backdoor encryption, and that would it would be a, it would be a regulatory thing, so that would mean... If you're shipping software that uses a type of encryption in the U.S., in order for it to be legal here, you would have to follow these rules, potentially. And that seems like uh, it could have huge consequences. Question. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Uh, and this has got a bit of conspiracy uh, bacon here, but why is Comey wanting to wait? Why not do this debate right now? Is there something else that's more important than that? Well, I think he I think I he mean, gives away his motivation when he says next year we can have an adult conversation. In other words, once we're past the election year, because everything in an election no, year no, gets crazy. No. Political. Let's have a let's have a conversation right now about it. You know. Well, I think that, that's what I'd be saying. I think I think the technology community is simply of the opinion that this is just a bad idea for all kinds yeah, of reasons. We, we've been at There's no position. such thing as just a government backdoor. There's backdoors that can be taken advantage of. 
And but, it's just so frustrating because it feels like it's like they're not listening on the other side. You know, you're like, well, okay, we can have this conversation. Have you have you answered our other big point that we kind of have been asking you about? Well, I, I guess what I'm worried about is what we're not talking. What we're not talking about is the impact this will have on the legality of open source software. Mm-hmm. The impact this will have on the adoption of open source software in companies that have government contracts or government agencies themselves and divisions. If all of a sudden things like Tor and I don't know what name a Lib Libvault or LibreVault or SyncThing or all of these things all of a sudden have to have backdoors built into them. Well, there's going to be a huge portion of these software developers going to say, "No, I won't do that." Right. Plus, now, now uh, the technical the technical aspect of how that gets implemented is that going to be GPL'd code? Like, how does that exactly work? Exactly. <laughs> it can't be like some sort of proprietary thing that gets bolted onto these GPL projects. So how the hell does open source exist if this ever becomes a reality? And here's why I worry about it is because they do not let up. Every single terrorist attack, oh, yeah, it's encryption. Going Uh, dark, Chris. They're using that evil telegram. They're creating their own encrypted applications for communications, cyber caliphate, blah, blah, blah. And then any time there's an attack, the encryption is, once again, the conversation's brought up. And it does kind of worry me. And the other thing is is that – it's not just Kami. In fact, I think one of the reasons why James Kami is having so much luck uh, with uh, pushing this conversation amongst legislators and whatnot in the U.S. is our counterparts over in the European Union have expressed similar initiatives. Last month, the French and German interior ministers called on the EU to implement measures forcing encrypted app manufacturers to develop backdoors for use by law enforcement officials. It would effectively make end-to-end encryption where only the sender and the recipient have access to transmitted data illegal in Europe. Yeah, isn't that, that that seems wild? It's happening on both ends of the pond right now. Are they coming for my full disk encryption too? Yeah, uh, that, yes, absolutely. That's terrifying. Hmm. Yeah, and I don't. And it, I, does, I, it does feel like open source isn't hardly considered because it's like, yeah, well, the government can strong arm the you know companies. You can get your Microsofts and your Apples and your Googles to do to this, do but how are you going to get the LibreVault developer who lives in Russia to do it? Yeah, exactly. And you can't. I mean, are you just going to have more laws that we just? Pretend and look the other way when you acknowledge that you're not really going to be able to stop your citizens from using it, and then you just turn them into criminals. Does open source software that doesn't have these uh, mandated backdoors become illegal? Do you is it does it become a crime to use types of software like that for communication? I don't know. Where does this end? And that's why it's kind of got me worried because, in particular, we are having we are having the conversation, and people like Bruce and I and other loud voices in this debate are are coming out strongly against this concept but the but there's nobody advocating it from the open source perspective of how this could and if you at this point damaged open source in a certain, like to this degree it would probably have a negative impact on the economy mm-hmm. seems pretty well, crazy maybe we maybe we can be you know those uh, advocates in that or at least the starting forces no, I think you give us too much credit. <laughs> but damn it, we can try. Let's let's go back to something that's more in our realm, uh, because yeah, there's only so much shouting of the wind we can do on that particular issue. But the re- the issue has been raised. I thought this was pretty cool. Uh, KDE Software is coming. Oh, that's right. It's going to be a store soon to offer downloads in snaps, flat packs, and app image formats. Wow. Yeah. Dubbed okay. the KDE Store, the new software store is exactly that, a store where application developers can publish their own open source projects and share them with the world, also known as the KDE Software Store. 
Uh, the migration from the open desktop.org services to the new KDE software store has happened in the background. For, it's been going on for a while now. And a KDE developer blogged about the new software store on his personal blog, revealing the fact that users might be able to soon download their favorite open source applications in the new Snap and Flatpak and uh, app image binary formats, which, was, which is pretty damn cool. And it's, it's nice because we've seen the GNOME Software Center sort of get pretty wide adoption on the GTK side of things. Mm-hmm. Um, there's uh, not a great answer for the KDE Plasma desktop side of things. There's some different solutions like the Muon Software Center right. and yep. things like that. But one like KDE, quote-unquote, yes. official store is great. And I, I remember talking to Aaron years ago about some of the back-end ideas I had for this, which were pretty bright, so... I think it could Clearly be a good been, move. Stuff's been in the works, and hopefully this is a good mm-hmm. a good push through, and mm-hmm. people can use it. Anybody in the Mumble Room have any thoughts about the new KDE software store? And again, when they say store, I bet you almost everything in there's yeah going to be free. It's a weird model for open source. Why say store? Is that just because of what they think people will understand that analogy better? Well, Repo's a scary word, maybe. Ah, oh, they couldn't think of a better word like yeah. boutique. Oh, yeah. There's only so many good, good words that that's that cool. Boutique was taken. <laughs> the software center, yeah, it's taken too. Software I, I still think boutique would or something I, would be weird compared to store because you're used to like the Google Play Store, the App Store, those kinds of things. Right, that's where I think it comes from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, something, something, big marketing, big it's... different. Yeah. <laughs> Katie, big list well, of software. If I you might offer. Uh... Yeah, go ahead. If I might offer, I think the software store, given that people are looking for app stores, et cetera, and there is such a thing on the GNOME side. I'm not a KDE user myself, but I, I widely would accept a software store even if it's not monetizable. And if it is, that's great. Uh, more app developers can well, and it, in. And, and it leaves room for that later. And making some money. Yeah. I mean, it leaves room for later on for them to come and along and say, let's user. sell this. And as long as they like do a good and job on the back end. go, hey, cool, a place to get stuff. Yeah. All right. Here's another I'm excited. thought, mm-hmm. um, Chris. Wes. Here's another thought. How long will it be until uh, the other uh, desktop environments uh, get uh, their own stores or boutiques or whatever you want to call it? Like, for example, the XFCE shop no, or, no. The, pan- or no. the Pantheon store. No. Hey, it, it, there I will think, be a, there will there I will be it another. It's not going to be called the Pantheon store, but you're you're barking elementary, up the right tree yeah. there. Yeah, yeah. Elementary are already doing that. They've already got their app center. I think they call it. Mm-hmm. Is that the right? Yeah, yeah. and they're, they're, they're developing that. So that's that is I think good for Katie because kind of by my estimation they were, they were sort of I was kind of looking like where's their official solution here? So right. there we go, the KDE software store, and downloads and Snap too. You know, it's been weeks. Since we really haven't heard really any big. Snaps, no big flat packs. Like there's no been there's not no, there hasn't been not announcement really. of some big project or or anything. Like there was build up to it, but then no, we haven't really heard anything for a bit. Maybe we're in a, an incubation period. People mm-hmm. are kind of trying them out, making more of them, maybe even using them. Mm-hmm. Maybe it'll be interesting to see what kind of distribution like for those three. You know, will they have mostly one kind, mostly snaps? I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, which ones will be the most popular? Mm-hmm. All those. Yeah, maybe we get stats on that. Uh, all right. Well, let's uh, let's move along. Moving on because uh, I caught something caught my eye over at elementary.io. Speaking of the of the elementary OS desktop, uh, there's a countdown going. Two days, nineteen hours, twenty two minutes, and seven seconds as we record this what? year's show. A countdown, Again? Wes. Let at, me guess. At a, Let me guess. Right now, 
just like last time, it's going to be for a new uh, release. Hmm. Why would you give? Hmm, I don't know, Miss Wheelie. I don't know. Uh, uh, hmm. I don't know. Jeez. Yeah. Probably likely. I don't know. Two days. We'll find well, out. Two days. Nineteen I remember, hours. I I broke the news in the chat room the last time they did it. So. Sweet Lou breaking the news for us. Maybe they're just merging with Apple, and Apple have some big news for us uh, on the release, <laughs> too. Ooh, that's a good one. That's a good conspiracy that they're merging with Apple. Yeah, I like that. Uh, <laughs> I'm going to uh, I'm gonna guess it's probably not that. Yeah, well. I'm going to say that if that were the case, they probably wouldn't be the ones making the announcement. <laughs> yeah. No, of course, they're smart. They're smart because if you were yeah, – You wouldn't suspect a thing. If it was going to be merging with Apple, it would be announced tomorrow. Though, yeah, think. true. Right, their countdown's just wrong. Apple's keeping them in the dark. It's, <laughs> you know, yeah, maybe so. We'll find out. Stay tuned and find out. I'm sure we'll do a little update next week. But uh, I do kind of like the hype. I got to admit, yeah, it's, it's fun. fun. It, it makes a, it feel a little more like, you know, it's not just posted on the mailing list. And maybe that's more your style. But it's like there's a whole involvement to it. It feels like a production. So let's see. Uh, Zenny uh, 452 says that they're merging with Twit, Elementary uh, OS, and Twit. That's I, I got a theory for you. How about this one? System76 is buying them. Oh, yeah. Right? The new official distribution for System76 hardware? Wouldn't that be good? Wouldn't that be something? Because, you know, they've got System76 has got a really great range of machines yeah. right now. And they have uh, one of the developers works there at System76. They both share attention to detail and wanting to craft yes, a complete exactly. system. And, you know, because somebody who works with the project works there at System76, they have a kind of a direct line mm-hmm. for this kind of stuff. And some of their rigs would look particularly good uh, running elementary they OS. Really would, yeah. like, like they have the, uh, com- the Sable Complete all-in-one, right? That's like obvious. That would be – I mean mm-hmm. that would – legitimately would make – and it also elementary OS – has really kind of gone out of their way to make sure everybody they're, they're clear like they're they're they don't feel that their competition is Ubuntu or Ubuntu Mate because they want to they they say they're mainly going after users that are already running proprietary OSs they don't right. that's who they're going after you could argue that's still competing with other distros <laughs> but I think it's it's an interesting approach and if you look at their distribution in that context that their their primary market is people who aren't running Linux yet I think they I think their attention to details. It's pretty interesting. So System76 picking them up. Well, now I just want that to happen, Chris. I know. I know. It would be pretty big. I wouldn't want, like, the general distribution to go away because yep. I've been running on Dylan's laptop, and that's a Dell. It's like, I think it's almost like that same exact model that you've got right there. Oh, nice. And um, it's been flawless for over for well over a year now. So I, I, I wouldn't want them to go away as a general distribution. No, I wouldn't either. But you do have to wonder. I'm sure if, uh, I'm sure if something like that were to happen – there would be some little birdies going around tweeting about it to me. Yeah, probably. All right. Before we go any further into the show, I'm excited to uh, get to uh, the review that Wes is reviewing. Wait, what? The review that Wes is reviewing? No, the distro that Wes is reviewing. Speaking of really well put together distributions that pay a lot of attention to the fine details, I'm really curious. But before we get there, we're going to mention DigitalOcean. DigitalOcean.com and use our promo code DOUnplugged, all one word, lowercase, and you'll get a $10 credit at DigitalOcean. This is a great cloud hosting provider. Why is it great? Well, when you're using the cloud, you're using other people's computers. And so you want to make sure they're good. You want to make sure they got great infrastructure, running on Linux using the KVM virtualizer, SSDs for all the disk I.O., 40 gigabit e-connections right into the hypervisors, some of the best data centers in the world in New York, San Francisco, Singapore, Amsterdam, London, Toronto, Germany, even India. It's I know. I know. They have the best interface in the business 
Never seen anybody come close to this desktop or a web app. HTML5 console, you get access to your rig from post all the way to login. They have incredible, nicely formatted tutorials and guides to help you set things up. They have entire application stacks you can deploy. Boom, ready to go. Everything's good to go. Or you can deploy a base rig. I love both of those options. They've got a bunch of good distributions you can choose from. And you combine that with the great UI, the simple ability to spin up multiple machines at once, the crazy straightforward pricing. Get this. $5 a month is the base rig. So if you use our promo code D1Plug, you get the $10 credit. But you can also do DigitalOcean at an hourly rate. Now, girl, I am telling you, D1Plug is going to get you the extra mile if you're using the hourly rate because you can get a fantastic rig at like three cents an hour. I think that's the most popular one. I mean, it's just nuts. And now they have block storage, up to 16 terabytes of storage you can allocate to your rig. That stuff is awesome. All SSD-based. That's pretty nice. That is pretty nice. Also, check out the DigitalOcean community page where they've got all of their tutorials posted right there, including some good ones working with ZFS, working with OwnCloud. A lot of stuff is now getting updated for Ubuntu 16.04 and CentOS 7 and all that stuff. And then also they're highlighting their projects that uh, use their super nice, straightforward API. Just use our promo code DOUnplugged and a big thank you to DigitalOcean for sponsoring the Linux Unplugged program. And yeah, they got free BSD too. Yeah, they got FreeBSD. In fact, uh, mentioning FreeBSD just really quick before we move on, FreeBSD just announced a CentOS 7 binary compatibility. They've been working on it for a while. You know, they get that Linux layer in there? Yep. Yeah, well, I mean, like Windows does? (laughs) Yeah. As of yesterday, a Linux-based C7 landed in ports for installing the CentOS-based packages. This will allow running newer Linux binaries built for modern CentOS Red Hat Enterprise 7 era systems on FreeBSD. Which is very handy, it turns out. Uh, previously, CentOS 6 was the default. and uh, feeling a bit dated now. It is, isn't it? So there you go. So now you get the CentOS 7, which doesn't feel like a spring chicken, chicken either, but uh, a nice step up. Yeah, absolutely. I was kind of wondering to see this after Windows made their announcement when if FreeBSD was going to have any more incentive to keep this current. I wonder, I wonder what kind of ga- – uh, not games, but I do wonder if games are going to be more. Mm-hmm. I was wondering just what kind of class of applications this opens up for BSD that wasn't available before. And I've seen some people hacking to get uh, Steam working on FreeBSD, and there's been scripts that right. do it. I guess it wasn't this. Yeah, this could make it easier. Yeah, maybe. I wonder if they'll ever target not sent to us as well. I've asked about that, mm-hmm. and I, I basically got a what's the point? Yeah. And why would we do that? Hmm. Like, because to, I think, to, and I don't mean to disparage, but I think to the BSD people, Linux is already really silly. Yeah. And so if you're <laughs> going to support any kind of compatibility, why wouldn't you do it with the most adult Linux? I yeah. think is how they no, look at fair. it. Well, and if and if if they're targeting a lot of server workloads, CentOS may be the thing that you know is most like what their boxes will end up being used for. Yeah, I don't. I I would be way more enthusiastic about being able to install like a Debian user land set yeah, of tools and stuff. And then I'd be like, all right, okay, let's go look at this true OS with the rolling free BSD and yeah. a Debian user land I that can would... install. I mean, I they yeah, have I would, them. I would do that. What's that? That Mac OS ten? Don't uh, there is a there is a there is a like a. There's like a user land set of tools you can install that has like app-like functionality. I'm blanking on it. I don't even know if it's around anymore. Homebrew? Yeah, yeah, Homebrew. That's what it is. Yeah, Homebrew. Yeah, Homebrew, that they can, something kind of like that. Yeah, that'd be nice. Give me all that kind of stuff. But yeah, I, I, you know, I, I think that's probably going to hook some people up. So, Mr. Wes, you are trying out the distribution that Jack Wallen at Linux.com says brings serious relevance back to KDE. Oh, strong words. Yeah. 
Um, so it's called Chaos, K-A-O-S. We have talked about it before. They've just recently gotten a new update. And it is a very refined approach to the Plasma 5 desktop. Sort of a gray color scheme, very yep. uniformed. What are your thoughts on it so far? You know, I've, um, I haven't run a KDE distro for a while, so that was a little bit That was different. one of the reasons I was thinking it would be a fun one to throw at you. Yeah. Um, I like it. KDE takes a little bit to get used to. I, I Honestly, I, there's a lot of little things that I'm kind of surprised by, and I'm like, oh, right, I really like this. And so there's a lot of little things um, I'm enjoying – Having the like the taskbar kind of thing right on the bottom, I'm enjoying just the responsiveness and there's there's a lot of effects, but there's not there's not too many effects and it's kind of just it's just refreshing. It feels light, it feels pretty responsive, and I've been really impressed when I was just going into Tinker with it. And they have their own limited repository, and they're using Pac-Man as the as the tool, so it felt right at home. And they've got like nice colors. It feels it feels just like it's been well cared for, well touched. I you know I haven't I haven't used it long term, so I don't know how well their software availability will meet my needs, especially since I'm used to like, the larger Arch repos. And, and one kind of the thing. things they advertise is a limited repo. Right. And but they're very is, focused on KDE Isn't it Arch-based, though? So Yes, and I believe it would be pretty easy to get um, other, Arch, uh, other Arch packages installed if I wanted to. I've yeah. not tried that yet. Yeah, I think, I think when I messed around with it, you could. But I, I think that's one of their things is they really want you to just use their limited selection. Um, but everything... it does feel like a very modern – like if you're someone who – who really likes KDE and wants something that like you can just kind of set up, go with. It'll be a nice configured default. You can customize it if you want from there. Um, but you have like new packages. You have like the core stuff. You're kind of already using the you know K Office or whatever. Then I think you'll be really happy with it. So they have uh, they have uh, Qt Designer included, Krita, Cupzilla, C File, Dolphin, K3B, Kate, Seuss Studio, Image Writer. Uh, Jack says the only real glaring hole in Chaos's list of software would be an email client. For that, you have to go to the package manager. Now, did you did you get a chance to try out their GUI package manager? Did you get a chance to look at this? Yeah, thing? aren't they? They're using uh, Octopi. Yes. Yeah. Uh, yes, I installed the uh, installed Firefox from there and a couple other things, and it wasn't uh, wasn't too bad. I went back to the shell, which I was also very pleased with, and they've looks like they've applied some formatted options, like they've got the fun little uh, Pac Man style on Pac Man set, and they've got some really nice uh, spacing setup, so it like very clearly shows you some like. These are your packages. Here's the new ones. Here's how much you're downloading in kind of a non-standard way, which I appreciated. So they have they break it out into three repositories. So they've got core that contains the basic software necessary for the system to boot, communicate with the BIOS, and set the basic shell options. Then main, which contains the necessary libraries, drivers, and firmware to make the desktop function. And then they got apps, and that contains all the user-facing apps spread out into those three different categories. The three repositories work seamlessly together to keep Chaos or KAOS <laughs> up to date and running smoothly. Jack concludes by saying, if you've been looking for a distribution to sway you back to the KDE desktop, and by KDE desktop he means Plasma desktop, yep. look no further than Chaos. It's a beautiful, it is beautiful, it runs with a, it runs with a snap of a much lighter desktop and feels as reliable as any other option available for Linux. I haven't been impressed with KDE for very, very long. I have not been impressed with KDE in a very long time, but I, I am very impressed with this one, and I'm certain users would find themselves equally happy to return to a desktop that has long needed a champion like Chaos. What are your thoughts on the speed? He talks about the speed a lot in this review. Yeah, I mean, I was pretty... It didn't feel sluggish. I mean, I haven't used a bunch of other KDE distros recently, so I don't really know. I can't compare them that well from that perspective, but as someone who uses, who's, you know, uses i3 or Awesome from time to time, who otherwise uses, you know, GNOME, but not that many plugins, kind of a lighter GNOME, it it, it really felt responsive. It felt light. Uh, the graphics looked nice, which they usually do, thanks to KWIN. Um, 
So I was very pleased. It was like a very usable experience. Hmm. Well, that is that is probably if you've been looking for a plasma desktop to jump into, this is probably one to play around with, if nothing else, because you can get a sense of their design look and their theme they're going for, and you could replicate some of that if you wanted in your own. Yeah, and I I don't hate the way it looks. I don't think it's necessarily the style that I would go go for. It's a little it's a little blue and boxy, and I mean the gray is nice. Um, I don't think it feels quite as streamlined as what I'm used to in GNOME, but. I mean, KDE is so flexible that I'm sure you can, you know, if you want to change it to make it something that you like, that wouldn't be a huge problem. I'm waiting for the uh, Plasma Mate desktop version yeah. oh. that uh, Wimpy will be shipping in uh, Ubuntu 17.04. Uh, huh? yeah. well, <laughs> I will say it does come with some nice stuff like MPVs here yeah. uh, included by default. There's a, the show, yeah. It's a pretty good showcase of a lot of different uh, QT software as well. That's good. Yeah. I'm... I'm seriously tempted to replace VLC with MPV at some point. Yeah. Um, the new versions are very nice and um, yeah, I'm waiting to see if VLC 3 drops with high DPI support. I like GNOME oh. MPV a lot too, which is a nice front-end MPV. I have not yeah, tried that. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. That's exactly. In fact, that and that new version um, for GTK 320 is really good. Yeah, yeah, it, it's 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 my go-to player now for video clips on the stream. Whenever I'm whenever I'm playing videos on the show mm-hmm. that aren't that aren't like in a web page, I'm using GNOME MPV because it. I've been also having uh, decoding issues with VLC and where it starts dropping frames and things like that. It just gets to be all all kinds of a mess. Not something you can afford as a broadcaster. I like Sweet Lou's idea of looking at Chaos Desktop and then taking some of those ideas and transitioning them into an LXQT sort of lightweight desktop. I don't think LXQT has all of the theming and 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 well, I guess unless you can use KWin with LXQT, I'm not sure. Uh, but I I look at this and I think they're doing some things that are right here. And it's that same sort of a little extra attention to detail. And the Plasma desktop doesn't often get it. So that's what also right. kind of makes it special. Yeah, exactly. And it feels like they're, you know, it's it's nice to have the focus. It's not just a distribution that has, oh, you can also get our KDE spin. It's like, this is what we're doing. It feels a little more polished. It feels a little bit more like, yeah, we've thought about it from beginning to end. We've picked our entire software stack. We've built our own repos just to do this project. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Wimby, are you feeling the uh, the impending release date of uh, the sixteen ten version of the Ubuntu Mate desktop? Does it start to build up? Mm-hmm. Like, is it? Uh... Yeah, yeah. So um, <laughs> we're in feature freeze now. Yeah, and uh, yeah, we got lots of stuff to fix. <laughs> now I know there was yeah. uh, there was one feature that ended up getting scrapped for sixteen ten, right? Yeah, mm-hmm. we uh, I yanked the uh, the Mate Hub HUD. Um, we introduced that in Alpha two. And uh, we had some great testing feedback, but the feedback was clear. It was not ready. And uh, I, uh, we don't have time to fix it up. So uh, we've we've yanked that and we'll revisit it in 1704. Well, that is kind of a downer. You should share with us of something that's going well. I mean, I, I, I respect the decision. You got to you got to do what you got to do. Uh, but now you should pick now pick me back up. Talk, get me excited about something. Yeah. What do we have to look um, forward to? <laughs> well, it's. It's a bit uninteresting, really, this release for Ubuntu Mate because we haven't landed any groundbreaking new features in terms of what the end user sees. But it's a ground-up recreation, basically. So although it doesn't look like it and it might not feel like it, but we literally started from scratch and built it all from the ground up all over again. And it's really all about the transition to GTK 3. 
And one of the reasons that we don't have time to go back and fix the Mate HUD, for example, is we did the initial let's go to GTK 3. And at that time it was GTK 318. Mm-hmm. Oh, right, yeah. And then partway through the Ubuntu cycle, uh, they've pulled in GTK 320 which is a massive upheaval. Um, mm-hmm. For anyone that's a theme designer, you know that basically all your themes stop working. You have to redo all your theming. <laughs> oh, man. So we've redone all the themings for GTK 320. So we've actually done like two significant toolkit tra- tool transitions in, in this cycle. Does that feel like you're uh, burning we, a, lot of, a lot of your time up? Um, it does and it doesn't because I made this decision that this release was going to be the we break everything, we start over. You know, this is this is the new starting point heading towards 1804. That makes we sense. have to do this. And, and the other thing that's happened, which is perfect timing, it was um, maybe late last week. Um, it's been announced that GTK 322 will be the last GTK 3 release. From that point onwards, it will only get fixes. So after 322, then we go into this new GTK 4 development cycle, which is great. So from the Mate desktop team, this is ideal because now we can stop having to do catch-up on GTK 3 toolkit API changes and actually just solidify, hunker down, fix up stuff against that version. And then the idea would be that 3.2.2 would be around for a year or more? It it will be – well, uh, the idea is is, uh, uh, that – uh, in about 18 months, the stable version of GTK 4 will come along in that there won't be any API changes at that point. So we've got like 18 months of sitting on that version of GTK with no API changes. And then we have a transition in about a year and a half to a new toolkit. But we can now choose when we jump um, toolkit versions rather than us all having to you know keep pace with with the cadence of gtk yeah that's nice have something really you can target and then do bug fix and that kind of yeah so so we might be a little bit rough around the edges for 1610 but i'm really looking forward to 1704 because i know that we'll only have one gtk version to focus on and from now and probably all of the 1704 release will just be a refinement and fixes version. Probably no significant new developments will mm-hmm. continue to improve the Ubuntu Mate Welcome and the software boutique. But in terms of all the other stuff, we'll just focus on fixing up and making good for a, a good long period because we need to sort of develop that that stability and confidence that like everything's that. working as we intend it to. It's amazing how much you know how much back end work that takes for sometimes very little actual show. But when you yeah. really do get that, like, no, you can trust it. It just works. It's really worth a lot. Yeah, it, and it does sort of just work at the moment. But I know where the bugs and the wrinkles right. are. And some of the testers have sort of identified lots of little paper cuts. And we need to start addressing that stuff. It sounds like it is going to be an interesting – it's an interesting phase. And I bet – I bet you're still – I bet there's still something as an end user I'd be excited about for, yeah. the, for the 1610 release. And I think for somebody like me, uh, I am – I, I I think every six months is is pretty aggressive, and I don't think there's any problem at all with using a couple of releases every now and then to just work on some of this stuff. Yeah. Right. Yeah. 
Don't and that's what these intermediate releases are for. You know, yeah, the, yeah. these are yeah. the releases where you do this stuff, you know, to build up to the LTS. I mean, I suppose the thing that I'm most looking forward to, and this isn't a 1610 thing specifically, because it's, um, I think it's landed in 1604. If it hasn't, it's about to. And that's um, Firefox 49 being able to play Netflix. I think that's yeah. huge. It is huge. That's such a big deal. Um, so, you know, Amazon Prime and Netflix now working in uh, Firefox is terrific. So, you know, that's not nothing to do with Tomate in particular, but that's a real good feature. Yeah, absolutely it is. Man, in fact, we should do just a quick Firefox update. So we're blowing through a lot of our updates right now. I think this is good. But Wimpy brought it up. Why don't we do that? Um, It's looking serious. I'll tell you about it here in just a moment. In fact, let's let's, uh, reorient ourselves and talk about Linux Academy really quick, and then we'll transition into Firefox. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. That's where you go. You want to be happy like this lady up on the screen and do a little Linux Academy dance? Go there and learn more. They got labs that will spin up on demand with the distributions you've chosen, and the courseware and the lab servers match that choice. They have instructor mentoring when you need it. It is really a platform to teach you everything about the core essentials around Linux and everything built on top of it. If you're a client, if you have a client that has a new project for you, or if you want to impress an employer, or you want to learn a new skill, you want to challenge yourself, or you want to get a certification, these are all great opportunities to visit Linux Academy. Go to linuxacademy.com slash unplugged. Check out how their dashboard totally maps out the courseware for you, gives you download links for the comprehensive study guides and audio that you can take with you. Instructor mentoring is integrated into the platform too, so it's always available when you need it. They have a community stacked full of Jupyter Broadcasting members, and they have so much great courseware. Plus, Linux Academy has been staffing out to make sure all of their existing courseware stays relevant and gets updates, and they can continue and expand to make sure that your membership stays Extra, extra valuable. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplug. they got iOS and Android apps as well, so you can do it on the go. Check them out. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. And a big thank you to Linux Academy for sponsoring the Unplugged program. LinuxAcademy.com slash unplugged. So this is a big deal, I think. Fi- Firefox could be getting up to a 700% improvement what? in responsiveness. Yeah, I said 700%. Holy crap. Chrome, take that. This is really something. Now, this is these are stats that are being reported by Mozilla themselves. And I'm guessing, hopefully, based on metrics they're getting back from early rollout of electrolysis, the company is reporting a 400% improvement in responsiveness and a 700% improvement in web page load times. They saw also the responsiveness for loading large web pages. Uh, over the next week, multiprocess will begin coming to 10% of total Firefox users. In the coming weeks... Mozilla will push multiprocessing to 100% of their initial user group. The group represents 40 to 50% of the total users. So a lot of interesting numbers here. <laughs> Quite the, the gradual rollout. With the next six months, a major, within the next six months, the majority of users can expect to have these capabilities. So here's what you're going to get. In uh, Firefox 49, it's going to enable a, a set of add-ons that work well with multiprocessing. So you'll have, for, you'll have like a set. In Firefox 50 and 51, somewhere depending on how development goes, sandboxing and enabling of more add-ons turns on. And then Firefox 52 or 53, multiple content processes will be introduced. And they talk about some of the cool things they've done in uh, their with their MemShrink project to really nail this memory use thing with multiprocesses. And they say, wow. we've learned from the competition. The way <laughs> they implemented multi- – of course, referring to Chrome, right? The way they implemented multi—oh yeah, of course, or Opera. Yep. The way they implemented multi-process is RAM intensive. It can get out of hand. 
We're learning from them and building an architecture that doesn't eat all of your RAM. Ooh, I like that. Yeah. So up to 400% improvement on load times, less RAM usage, um, rust, electrolysis, Netflix support. What is going on, Wes? Is Firefox all of a sudden coming is it around? Finally, ready for Chris? Is it ba- Is it coming out off the ropes and swinging, punching Chrome right in the face? I think it is clear, at least that Mozilla's kind of you know they've really felt what users' pain has been. Uh, I mean, especially like electrolysis has been a huge, long rollout, but it does feel like they've been making a lot of changes now to kind of like, okay, we really need to catch up. We really need to be be in the spots where Chrome has us beat. Because there's like, you know, there's like the 80% that they both do. They're both totally fine. You can do like that much of your web browsing. It's just those like extra Netflix support, responsiveness, not hanging on your one crappy site. Like these are things that people who like use the web a lot really expect out of a browser. WW, you've run into four gig memory limit issues. What are you, what's going, what, what, what are you talking about? Are you talking per tab, per process? What is this? For the entire process of Firefox, I've run into uh-huh. like two to three to four to five to six gigabits or six no six gigabytes of my eight gigs of ram used just because i'm running multiple tabs or maybe i'm researching something Mm -hmm. or i'm reading cross things and you know so yeah firefox definitely needs a memory shrink because it's getting ridiculous well, I think this new electrolysis overall is going to end up using more memory. I mean, they're just being really smart about how they're doing it, but I think it still uses more memory because you're running more processes. So I don't, I don't know if that's actually going to. I don't know if that, that's going to help. Yeah, you. Fire, Firefox doesn't have that sandboxing or like that Chrome thing where it separates up in, or tabs into separate processes right now. So on the latest, you know, version for me. It's still chewing up memory. So the only thing it sandboxes would be the flash process, I believe. So that's still separate. So you'll eventually get a flash crash, but you won't as often as it was before. So it still needs they'll, they'll do improvements. And this is a good step. And I've been waiting and waiting for like electrolysis. And I, I think uh, uh, Michael Tunnell, which uh, isn't here, um, has been using electrolysis a little bit more, so he could probably talk more on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so for me right now, it, I'm still dealing with that, and I still end up crashing Firefox daily just because I need to reset my memory, and I need to keep tabs, and I have stuff enabled for that to keep those sessions. It's it's a process, and I, I'm willing to wait for it. So, you know, we'll see what happens. Yeah, I'm getting hopeful though. Mm-hmm. And, I, and you should note that you can uh, in about config under browser tabs Ish. remote. Yes, uh, you can enable it for yourself if you have Firefox. Oh, installed right now. now you're talking my so language. So go try it out. About config, right? Yep. So you go in there, and then it's where? Uh, let's see. You, you got the you got the Fox I got there? it right here. Browser tabs remote auto start. Set that to true. Uh, if you then look under about support. Uh, it should have a multi-process Windows column, and if it shows that you have those, then you're ah, running it. Cool. I just enabled it right now. It was really easy. So cool. Well, all right. Now I kind of want to go try that. Yeah, right. See so, if it's tolerable. Geez, that's pretty neat. They say, and you know, I, I call, the thing is, is for me, is 
I'm such an extension idiot. Like I've just got I got like marked down. Be at gnome, be at Chrome. Yeah, yeah, really. I know it's 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 because they, I find these tools useful to extend my workflow. Like I I can bang out some some great show notes by using a bunch of different tools and stuff. And you're in like it's like a candy store, right? You're like, oh yes, I want that. Uh-huh. <laughs> I'm Expand not that the bad. JSON. Oh yes. come on. Oh come on. Update things for me. You, yes. I'm not that. Block bad. the ads. I'm not that bad. I'm not that bad. I I do get I do the yeah I do that. I got la- okay. Here's what I have right now. I have two markdown extensions. Two. Yeah, because one uh, one can uh, create markdown by selected HTML, and one just creates a markdown link to the page. Okay, I see. And then I've got LastPass because I'm back on the LastPass juice. I got my highlighter p- bookmark, um, and I got Hangouts, and uh, I got an imager. Oh, and I got Google Quick Scroll, which is kind of cool. Have you ever seen no, that? No, tell me more. So, like, when you search for something on Google and you click the link, Quick Scroll comes up and it takes you right to the spot in the page that is relevant to your. Okay, that's really nice. Yeah, it makes it fast. Uh, and then I've got a subreddit style on it, which I don't even know what that's for. I could probably just remove that. So I'm not like crazy <laughs> with the extension. No, that's actually pretty good. And then, you know, Flash is probably in there somewhere, but Google does all that. Yeah, Google handles it. Thanks, yeah. Google. So you make me sound like I'm some sort of maniac. No, one. that's actually very reasonable. <laughs> I, uh, I, I'm I excited to say that Wes and I will probably, if all goes as planned, be going to uh, the uh, Open Daylight Summit, I think it was I called. that's what it's called. Yeah. On September 27th in Seattle. It is a uh, conference about software-defined networking and Linux Etc. Etc. Put on by the Linux Foundation, which means we might be doing like a, a different recording time in a week or so. So we'll update the calendar and let you guys but know. Stay tuned. Probably the twentieth would be the the day we would do something if we do like a double or a late recording. I don't know what our plans are there, but because the twenty seventh, the day that the conference starts, is a Tuesday. Right. And I don't really have any rigs here by myself that I think we could do a show live there from at the moment. I'm That's not sure. A tricky endeavor. Yeah, and I just don't think I. I don't know. Maybe I'd have time to put something. It'd be together. such a bummer if like. Oh, that we would tried be. that and then it didn't work and we just didn't have a show then? Well, we could always just have the mumble room to the show. Oh, yeah. I just, think they've got it down now. They might. I bet I bet if I bet if they really put their minds to it, they yeah. could. I bet I think they could. They could probably do a better show. With maybe Rekai Marshall and them into into place. I don't know. I, I, I could I could see I don't know. I think they could self organize actually. I tell you what. I tell you what, I think Wimpy would probably get drafted. Yeah. Uh, but mm-hmm. I think I could I think they could self organize. And then, the, and then they do their own show. Don't tell them. Shh, They'll go off. And we'll just come back the, to the network and JB, be, JB1 will and be taken over. <laughs> I mean, and then we'll go like to the next plug. It's just you and me from then on. Yep. <laughs> uh, also, I guess before I run, uh, if you want a little more show, I got to give a plug to our brand new show. You can go to error.show. And uh, that'll take you to the user air program. We've got two episodes out right now. Episode three is officially in the can. I hear it's coming soon. Mm-hmm. It'll be coming out soon. And so you can subscribe to the feed and just get it automatically. We do have an MP4 and MP3 feed at this time. And uh, it's also getting posted to the YouTubes and in the all shows feed. So if you're already there, you've got it. But uh, both episodes so far, really well reviewed. So I invite you to check it out if you want a little more Linux discussion. In a and, very uh, low-key, you yeah. know, pleasant, fun manner. It's great. We uh, we we very tr- <clears throat> we try to have a very different feel for that show, and so I think we're pulling it off. Yeah, I, I got to say, you, episode two was great. Thank you. I, I hope you enjoy. Very it. candid and just yeah, fun. That's true. It is, I, and I hope you enjoy episode three as well, uh, which will probably be out Wednesday morning, Tuesday night, JB time. So if you're watching the feeds, what what? I just like JB time. That is well. That's that's where we live. I just because it doesn't really matter to anybody listening. It no. just because if I say it's specific, well, who cares? I could it could be East time, but if it's not your time, it doesn't matter. It's just the time that we're, evening for where, where we're at. Yeah, recap time, <laughs> the beard time. <laughs> I kind of like that too. That's that's not a bad suggestion. Beard time. I like it, Wes. All right, so I think that'll probably bring us to the end of this week's program. We do have a couple of more things. 
that we'll pick up in the post show. So if you're sticking you around, be here live. Well, I might put some of it in there, Wes. Oh, Don't disparage. Excellent. Okay, people could stick around and listen, but really, you're right. The live Just experience is up. like. Because we might get, I'm gonna probably say, "Hey, Rika, put some of that in there." Yeah, you know, the put cream some of, the crop, of that in there. But there's some like uh, there's some real some stinkers that bits. are worth being there yes. live for. <laughs> Over at JBLive.tv on a Tuesday, you can go to JupiterBroadcasting.com/calendar to get it converted to your time. You got the robots there to do that. You can also go over to the contact page, jupiterbroadcasting.com/contact. Send us in a comment, and if you're a if you're a longtime YouTube watcher for the Unplug program, give us a thumbs up. Please do. See you next week. And the value of this is negative. I'm going to say, a cucumber sour is very refreshing. It was actually very pleasant. Yeah. Not not too sour, not super intense. It would be a good summer beer, too, like when it's really hot out. Yes. You can mowing the lawn. You go, oh, man, screw water. You go, I want a beer. And you go grab one of these. This, This cucumber sour would really do it for me. Not hoppy at all. So is this a, is this another local beer you brought too? Let's find out. Ten you barrel. are you are some kind of maniac uh, from Bend, Con- Oregon. Oregon, that's, so that's not too far. That's that's legit. That's local. That is local. All right, jbtitles.com. Let's go pick our title, everybody. Thank you, Mumble Room. Thank you, everybody. Thank you. Now we have to go vote somebody off the island, and only one person will survive at jbtitles.com. <clears throat> Flashy extension idiot. Uh, <laughs> that's kind of funny. Uh, welcome to Nope. Um, a real pain in the flash. That's also good. So from everything I'm reading that Rika linked me earlier, apparently by the end of this year, um, Flash and Silverlight will be mostly in the NT API and, uh. Uh, for Firefox. And it will be the only thing there, and they're moving everything else to web extensions. You know, I do remember some talk about that web extension mm. stuff in that vein. Interesting. Yeah. The beard knows. The beard knows. So what do you know about software-defined networking, Wes? Not as much as Ooh. I would like to. Mm. But it's an interesting topic, and I feel like it's something that <clears throat> it's Linux is poised to do well with. It's too bad a lot of the hardware implementations are so proprietary. Exactly. Like you just don't really have much option in way of hardware things. Like switches, they're all very expensive for software-defined switches. I don't... It'd be nice if there were cheaper devices. It'd be nice if, like, ubiquity got mm-hmm. into software-defined networking more. I'm I, waiting for, like, a white box switch or, that you can download mm-hmm. by and, like, actually run Cumulus on, but they're all, I like... I mean, open compute the theory will provide these things, but they're still targeting way higher end than what your average home user is going to want. Like, they're going, like, 100 gig now. Right. I, I, f- I feel like there's, like, this huge software-defined culture and, and community that's growing that is sort of, like, unknown. Uh, because yeah. it, this there is so much happening here, but yet I don't really have any eyes on it for some reason. I, and I don't know if it's just I feel like oh, a lot it's of it's kind of behind closed doors yeah. in the enterprise, though. I think that's why. Mm, okay, I don't it's usually work on gear. big switches or forty gig plus or yeah, 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 yeah. 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 Okay, that cool kind of makes sense. So there is a uh, Linux Foundation 
have, I'm looking at it right now, uh, a software-defined networking um, event in Seattle. Oh. The Open Daylight Summit. Uh, that's what they're calling it, the Open Daylight Summit, September 27th through the 29th. And I have gotten you and I pre-approved press-wise to Whoa. go in. The foundation actually contacted us and said, hey, do you guys want to attend? And I said, uh, can Wes go too? Well, thank you. And, oh, awesome. Please talk to King Linus. Well, I don't think this is his <laughs> – this is actually not really his thing. So this is – this is developers and the, and the software-defined networking community coming together to demonstrate some of the latest technology in open software-defined networking. So I feel like well, this is an okay. opportunity for maybe to go and learn, what's, learn what some of them are talking about mm-hmm. and then see if we can translate that to back to the audience to something that's interesting. I don't know. What are you going to say, William? I was going to say it's open like open power is open to some extent. Like there's, it, the protocol and stuff is open. But most implementations are not necessarily open. Like a lot right. of the ones you care about, say the hardware stuff, while they're using OpenFlow as some kind right. of yep. API that you can talk to, you still don't have any of the software for the Switch. Yeah. Uh-huh. And see, that's the kind of You're thing linking wanna... against some Broadcom IP or something. That's exactly yeah, yeah, the yeah, kind yeah. of thing I want to keep yeah, my eye yeah. out for. That's exactly what I want to keep my eye out for. And I mean, it's still cool. You buy the Switch and it runs whatever software. As long as you can control it with your open controller and stuff, it's mostly okay. Yeah, it's still it's still it's an still improvement. Not ideal. Right. It's still an improvement, but it's not ideal. Um, so that's so that's on the twenty seventh, Wes. Okay. And uh, that's that's a Tuesday. And I don't know exactly what we should do. Like we, mm. there's a couple of options. We could go in the morning and try to hustle back up here in time for unplugged and do a later unplugged. That's definitely a possibility. Yeah. We could pre-record on the twentieth, and do we could do two unplugs and then not worry about that Tuesday at all. Mm-hmm. Or and I don't think this is I don't think I have the hardware for this, but the real hail mary, of course, would be to do a show from Ooh. down there. Oh right. But I I I don't think I have. I mean, maybe I could do it from the MacBook Pro, but I haven't really put it in that kind of workload yet. Yes. But otherwise, I I mean, I need like a pretty powerful machine to do all that. Mm-hmm. Not to mention. I'd have to make sure I have all the analog equipment to make that possible. So I yeah, didn't get chat, permission from them. There's a good open flow switch. Oh, yeah? Okay. Totally. In terms of like something a consumer could afford, it's like 100 bucks. Hmm. PTV oh, really? posted it. It'd be a good learner device, wouldn't it? Yeah. The Zodiac here? Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah the Zodiac. The Zodiac. This would be fun to play with. Wow, look at that thing. That's pretty interesting. Yeah. I don't know how performant this would be in terms of switching capabilities. I don't even know if to learn on. Yeah, right. yeah. So I guess I'm going to go in there with a pretty open mind uh, if we can make it down there. And you and I will probably just have to figure out what we want to do recording-wise. Okay. I'm I'm open for whatever. I would love to do the show from there, but I'm thinking that's probably not doable. But if we got – if we hustled and we got a few interviews in the morning and then got up here, say, by like Mm 2.33 and did like a late unplugged. Yeah. yeah, Maybe that might be – I don't know. So that's something to think about. It's coming up on our radar on the 27th. They're having it here in Seattle. The Linux Foundation's uh, behind it, so that's kind that's of, awesome. Yeah, it's interesting too. I like the idea of this. At least it's the Tough Pie case with 15 backers. They have uh, 22 days to go. They're looking for 5,840 Australian funky money, but it uh, and they're at 2,400 right now. The Tough Pie is an all-in-one breakout tough case for the Raspberry Pi two and three with an inbuilt seven-inch display. Look at that thing. Wow. It looks like... It looks it, like you're toting a bomb around. You could be toting a bomb. It could be high-end production equipment. There's the inside view uh, with uh, 3D printed mounting brackets okay. and spaces. And 
Look at all that stuff. Looks like they're running Cody down there. Look at that. Yeah, I like they got it. a I got one with Cody on it, and of course, I like that setup just for like, all right, I can watch my movies and Retro Pie. And see, they got a keyboard in there. I mean, it's a huge laptop, but this thing looks like you could uh, toss it around on an airplane or or drive over it with a tank, and it would mm-hmm. survive. It's pretty cool, uh, and it's called the Tough Pie by Brett Swan. Yeah, you never know. You never know. Twenty-two days left to go. He might. Brett it's a might pretty make reasonable it. goal to try to raise too. I'm going to send it over to Noah though, because he and I like the idea of modding up those types of uh, Pelican type cases to do production stuff too. It's part of Cool Wes. I like it. I'm interested. 